0: Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners a technique that is easily learnt and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynephimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Femister.
1: Well, hello, and welcome to the podcast show today. My very special guest is a lady from Brazil. Her name is Mariana Vera. Thank you, Mariana, for joining me.
2: I have to thank you for the opportunity.
1: Okay, so Mariana has a master's and a PhD in physiotherapy, and she works at the pain neuroscience in education and hydrotherapy for fibromyalgia down there, in São Carlos at the university. So thank you so much, Mariana, for uh, coming on today.
2: I have to thank you. This has been so great to talk to you up to now.
1: Okay, so let's go back in time. Uh, You're in Brazil right now. Where did you grow up and go to college or university?
2: I was born and grew up in São Paulo, which is Brazil's biggest city. And I moved to São Carlos to get my BA degree. It was 2001. And I moved to San Carlos when I was about eighteen years old.
1: Okay, and then you went into the, the world of physiotherapy, and you know yeah. you had a master's and a PhD, which is quite an undertaking. Uh, you've been telling me so, congratulations in that.
2: <laughs> Thank um,
1: you. And then, what made you take an interest in physical therapy? Um,
2: my real interest in pain management. Starting my PhD, my advisor told me to start working with fibromyalgia, which was a condition I was barely in contact with when I was graduating. So I started to study this condition and I realized that I got bothered with how much pain they suffered from. So I started to dedicate a little bit more of my time to understanding pain and how we could make their lives better.
1: So Mariana, we met in Boston in September 2018 at the World Pain Congress, where you were sharing your findings from your research study. So you want to share some of that findings?
2: So I presented a poster that was entitled Pain Neuroscience Education and Hydrotherapy for Fibromyalgia Patients, and the results I presented were preliminary results from uh, my latest research, which is uh, financially aided by Sao Paulo Research Foundation, which we call here FAPESP. And um, I started this research because during my PhD, which I performed from 2010 to 2014, I proposed an intervention, which was hydrotherapy for fibromyalgia patients. And I could see that their symptoms improved a lot. I published this research in 2017 at Clinical Biomechanics. And um, after my PhD, I was out of the university for a little time. And when I came back as a professor, I took a short course on pain neuroscience education, which was the very first time I had a contact with this kind of intervention. And after I got that, I could not think of anything else to help those fibromyalgia patients. And uh, lastly, I decided to join both hydrotherapy, which I knew worked for them, and pain neuroscience education intervention to see if patients could improve more than they would just with hydrotherapy.
1: Okay, so hydrotherapy, just to clarify, your patients are in the swimming pool or Mm -hmm. in a big tub they could stand and walk, and they're exercising. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. I have actually a protocol. We perform those exercises in a relatively big swimming pool, and they do exercises for warming up, which is walking into the pool, and then they do stretching exercises for the main muscles, like quadriceps and hamstrings and shoulder muscles, and then they perform 15 minutes of aerobic exercises and then we collect their heart rate and then we perform which I would call muscle activation exercises because hydrotherapy is a little difficult to talk about strengthening exercises so I perform muscle activation exercises with upper limbs, lower limbs, trunk muscles and in the end we perform stretching just as relaxation exercise. And then we have the relaxation time in which the patients stay in the pool for five minutes and listen to calm music and try to relax. And uh, after that, they are free from the pool from that day.
1: Okay, so how long was your clients and patients' in the pool doing their routine activities?
2: So this protocol is to twice a week protocol of 45 minutes each session. And we have 12 weeks of hydrotherapy.
1: And what were the results from the hydrotherapy?
2: Well, up to now, because we are still collecting data and we're still treating the patient, pain neuroscience education was a good intervention because patients improve more performing pain neuroscience education together with hydrotherapy than just hydrotherapy intervention. These results are not final yet, but uh, as we still have uh, patients undergoing this treatment, but we are very excited about the results.
1: So what in particular um, do you advise patients to do or what do you educate them for the, the education part?
2: Okay, so the education part we have lessons like classes that the patients sit together in groups and we discuss pain neurophysiology in simple terms because most of them do not have college and do not have high school completed and chronification factors and the role of emotions with improving or Uh, making their pain worse and we we really show them what is pain acute pain and then we show them what is chronic pain and that chronic pain does not necessarily have a relationship with injury and they start to understand how important the understanding of pain is for them and it's very fine because sometimes we talk them about how pain can affect cognition and they are like oh my god i thought i was the only one who suffered from that and it's really nice and they are liking it very much
1: yeah it's wonderful to hear and yet another physiotherapist you're integrating um, and studying not just practicing but integrating the principles of education into your study and and um, patients it's almost like the light bulb goes on and they (laughs) start realizing yeah this is not me or only me and it's not damaging you know and it's not it's not a damaging thing to do is to exercise or to mobilize even yeah so it's, yeah. it's very empowering i definitely see that in my in my practice as well now you you mentioned chronification that's a bit of a big word um what does that mean
2: when acute pain becomes chronic pain so the process of the pain Being acute to turning into chronic pain, we call chronification. I don't know if the term is perfect, but in Brazil we use it.
1: And is that roughly about three months?
2: We usually tell six months. Because three months. months, yeah. In six months, if an injury is not solved, then we can understand that there's something wrong. And if the pain persists after the healing process, then we are. We're talking about chronic pain. So six months is okay for us to qualify that pain as chronic.
1: And what about the education regarding the areas of the brain related, say, a chronic acute pain of um, up to three, six months, and then after six months? Which parts of the brain are actually active?
2: Well, actually, we have more areas of the brain being activated when we talk about chronic pain. Let me see if I remember And uh, it usually, it, it is very common in fibromyalgia. For example, the secondary somatosensory cortex is one of the areas that is more active in fibromyalgia patients. The insula, I think it's another part of the brain. Let me see the cerebellum the inferior lobe, mm-hmm. lobes. So these are some of the parts that are more active in fibromyalgia patients than healthy people when they are facing a nociceptive stimuli.
1: So what we're talking right here is when patients have got acute pain and the nociception is the, basically the feeling of pain at the receptors where they experience it. And that's stimulating different parts of the, the neocortex, which is the outside of the brain, and the somatosensory part is where you literally are feeling that. Yeah. Um, and the cerebellum was involved in the parietal lobes. Again, it's in the neocortex or the, the larger part of the brain on the outside. So that's the acute element. But what about the chronic element of pain? Where does the pain move to
2: in the chronic pains? <laughs> well, that's a question I don't think that we have been able to answer because uh, we don't have actually a center of pain. What we have is a process called central sensitization, which is the brain becoming more sensitive to stimuli because all of the areas, including those I talked now, and including, for example, hippocampus, which is linked to emotions, and the limbic system, which is also linked to emotions, they are more active and more sensitive to stimuli. So... We don't have an actual part of the brain to where pain moves, actually. We have the brain working in a sensitized way because of pain.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, I've recently read around this subject as well and how the hippocampus is also known for memory and the memory center in that central part of the brain called the limbic system. And another area is in, you know located in there like the amygdala, which is the classic yeah. for memory learning and yeah. memory recall. And what's happening in our chronic pain patients is this emotional component of the brain is really firing up and yeah. you know, fueling this sensitivity or central sensitivity as is, is a general yeah. term that's being given in the medical world for the fibromyalgia experience. So in essence, the whole brain is being triggered in a different way and, and it's overactive and it's just not behaving properly, you know. And, and it's linked to memory and it's linked to learning as well. And yeah. it's almost like the body learns that pain is a bad thing. Yeah. And the key to education and mobility and movement is to unlearn that and to do yeah. activities to prevent that, which yeah. is certainly possible with cognitive behavioral therapy and some of the things that we've talked about on this show in the past. So, you know, it's, it's really great to, to hear the work that you're doing in Brazil and you know coming up with different modalities because certainly hydrotherapy is something my patients do on a regular basis, some of them who, who like that. but I think it must be pretty available. you know all you need is a swimming pool nearby and one or two interested parties to, to put on classes. And, and I'm sure that's pretty available in the local health center or leisure center for people around the world?
2: We have somewhat an easy access to the pool. We only have to have a a good team because a swimming pool has some issues like the water physics that cause a a lot of uh, physiological uh, effects and we have to look out for them when we perform those exercises, but yeah. Not only we feel very good when we're into the pool because we have warm water that makes us more relaxed and we can somewhat leave our problems there. I don't know. It's Mm. therapeutic. Mm. And uh, we have uh, ways of performing exercises in a more effective way for some people because we can move better when we are into a swimming pool. Like we have the flotation that helps us to perform movements that sometimes in a land-based exercise we can perform. So the, the pool allows us to perform things like that. And that's why I'm passionate about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate to that too. I, growing up, I was a swimmer and so I was always in the pool. In fact, my, my best man at my wedding says, he's nothing like me. Because I don't swim and he spends all his time in the swimming pool. <laughs>
2: okay. So you know what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that well. And, you know, it's, it is, there's something about it. It's, I can't explain it really, but maybe it's connected to the womb, you know, and the fetus. And we're surrounded by our mother's amniotic fluid and it's warm and a core connection that we have, I think, with water. Yeah. And when you think about us, we are. Seventy percent water, you know, yeah. salt water, saline solution in our body. So, yeah, it's a fascinating subject. It's really good to be utilizing the pools and our resources around us to for activities and movement. So, well done for that. Just want to ask a question about: Is there any other, you know, research going on right now, maybe in your department or other universities that relates to a similar subject on fibromyalgia?
2: There are some universities in Sao Paulo that work with fibromyalgia, but people are a little reluctant in working with this disease because we have difficult to perform the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. I don't know if everyone is prepared to really perform the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. So many people prefer Working with osteoarthritis, for example, that is much easier to make the diagnosis than fibromyalgia. But I know those centers. uh, Besides UFSCAR, which is my research, and some other uh, that are from undergrad students that work with fibromyalgia as well, we have UNICID and USP, which are two universities in Sao Paulo that work with fibromyalgia that I know of.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that the change in clinical practice here in North America and especially Canada in the last few years where we've moved away from the specific diagnosis, you know, where you need your, is that 11 of 18 points around the body where you're tender, maybe it's your, the back of your neck or, you know, your shoulders or your lower back knees inside the elbows, et cetera. So there's like 18 points. And if you've got 11, you have a tick box diagnosis for fibromyalgia, yeah. which is related to also um, emotional problems like depression, anxiety, and sleep problems, which is yeah. huge because it's the central part of the brain that controls all this, that's all been affected. But now I think more and more, we've been encouraged to you know, just diagnose it as family physicians and therefore get on and help patients as much as possible rather than waiting for one year or more to see a rheumatologist who does all these tests that are expensive, uh, which are needed for certain other conditions. But with fibromyalgia, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So you know, I like the the approach of the the symptoms fit, the history fits, the examination fits, Mm -hmm. and and also those other medical issues alongside it. And therefore we can move on. And I think one thing that I've realized is sometimes we get caught up in the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. You know, I yeah. think initially it's good to, to know what it is, but then if patients can hang on to that label yeah, stack with fibromyalgia, I have fibromyalgia, and rather than say, well, okay, this is a diagnosis, let's move on and fix this. We can change yeah. the brain. We can change yeah. our activity. We can literally change our experience and we can get rid of fibromyalgia. It is possible. I see it when patients take on this new belief system. But it's a long journey because our system around us is talking about conditions and diagnoses and um, it's so easy to get trapped in this mindset that we can't change it.
2: Yeah, and I usually, when I teach classes about fibromyalgia, and I use a a little figure that I found on Google Images, that is a box Full of resentment, guilt, uh, desperation, depression, anxiety. And uh, there is a person carrying that box and the words are, please don't judge me unless you know me. And the box is labeled fibromyalgia. And I always tell my students, when you tell a person that he or she has fibromyalgia, you are giving that person that box. And if we're not prepared to help them carry the box, then it's useless to tell them, okay, you have fibromyalgia, so goodbye, so long. And it doesn't make sense. We have to help them to carry that box. The diagnosis, the label fibromyalgia is very heavy to be carried by a person herself. So we have to help them. Mm. And I love to start my classes with that image because I think it tells a lot about fibromyalgia.
1: And I think that's one of the hopes of this podcast show is just to bring some light into the situation. And just that analogy of cutting a box is wonderful. I haven't heard that one before. So it's really important our audience understands that so they can move forward and get help, you know, get support. They're not alone in this world, you know. We're all here to help one another at the end of the day, and whether that's be through your physical therapist or your family physician or, you know, even a good friend and, and talking or, you know, a loved one just cooking your meals for you or some simple things like that. You know, it's so important to feel that support and therefore the connectedness of who we are with with one another, making the, the burden lighter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too.
1: So personal question here. What's the biggest challenge you're now facing in your career right now?
2: Whoa. <laughs> I live in a country that in the past three years has cut more than a half of the budget for sciences. So we are actually working under budget and the concurrence to get financial aid from other sources like state sources and uh, some programs in the federal sources are getting uh, the concurrence is getting bigger because of that difficult Uh, You all have seen what happened to the National Museum in Rio de Janeiro. And uh, this happened due to lack of financing. So the science in Brazil is very underlooked by our government. So the government doesn't care that much about science, which is a pity. And um, as a professor and a researcher, I have the hope that things will change in the next two years and I hope I'm not wrong.
1: Okay, so just final question here or two. What would you like to share that we haven't already discussed?
2: Well, we have discussed a lot and I'm very happy about this because I could share a a little bit of what I do here and I think it's the first time apart from congresses in which I talk only to people that work in the same field as I do, So this is the very first opportunity I have to talk a little bit more about my work and my hopes on research. So I'm thankful for that. So thank you very much, Wayne. And thank you, everyone who's listening to that, (laughs) because you're making this very important for us in Brazil.
1: Well, it's a pleasure. It really is. Just finally, is there a a website or resources that our audience could Go to to learn more about your work?
2: Well, about my work specifically, I don't have websites. We are we are very lousy at communication here in my work, in my job. We are starting to learn that. So in a few years, I hope this changes. But we have a lot of sites that the audience could go to. We have a site called Pain in Motion, which is a group from Professor Joe Nish's. He works a lot with pain neuroscience education. And we have actually a Brazilian group who is um, coordinated by uh, Professor Felipe Hayes. And we have a website called Pesquisa Endur, which is P E S Q U I S A I N D O R dot com. So there you can find some information and about painters Science Education and patients could go there and health care providers could go there because they have links for both.
1: Well, thank you so much, Mariana. It's been great talking to you and having you on the show today. Thanks so much. I
2: have to thank you. Thank you very much.